The last one of this topic here, this is a great Mishnah, we're talking here about a person who converts to being Jewish. So, as we established in the previous Mishnah, there's that moment of truth, Gilgal, and if it's owned, the dough is owned by a Jew, so then at the moment of Gilgal it's it's obligated in the Chal obligation, and if not, then it's exempt. So here our case is a person who, let's say a a non-Jew, owns some flour, gives it to someone to prepare a dough, and then the non-Jew converts becoming a Jew. And perhaps it could be not necessarily clear if the conversion happened before or after the kneading of the dough. If the conversion happened first, then of course it was Jewishly owned at the time of Gilgal, and it'll be Chayev. And if the conversion happened afterwards, then it'll be Pater. And if you don't know, it'll be a Suffolk. How to deal with the Suffolk, we'll talk about here in the Mishnah. And it says inside, Gersh Nizgayer, if you have a convert who converted to being Jewish, Vahaislo Isa, and he had some dough. Nasis Achlo Nizgayer, if the dough was prepared, meaning the Gilgal, moment of truth occurred prior to the conversion, then Pater, because at the moment of truth, it was non-Jewishly owned. Umishnis Gayer, if first the person converted and then his dough was needed, Gilgal, then Chayev, because at the moment of truth, it was owned by a Jewish convert, and therefore obligated in Chala. Vim Safek, and if you're not sure, I mean, we don't know what happened first, the conversion or the Gilgal, then Chayev, Chayev, you have to still take Chala, Miss Safek. This is because there's a Chala is an Isser, it's a you know forbidden substance. You can't eat it if you're not a Kohen. And as Midoraisa, so a suffix Isser certainly has to be Machmiran. So you'll have to take out Chala to make sure that t- there's no possibility of a non-Kohen eating something forbidden to him. Now, while that's true from an Isser point of view, meaning Isser Vehetzer, from, that's from, uh, like, I'll call it ritual law, for lack of a better term, it's obligated you must take challah. But from a monetary side of things, usually if you recall back when it came to trumos, um, there was two components. There was, if you ate the non, the Kohen's, if you were non-Jew, excuse me, if you non-Kohen ate a Kohen's truma, you'd have to give him back his truma that you ate, um, and you'd actually have to even add an extra chomish, 25% more. If you recall, um, that was doing two separate things. One is the Torah mandates that you reconstitute that truma, recreating it again, and that's part of that part of that is to get a kapara, one gets atonement by recreating the truma that he ate, by taking Nuhulan and making it truma. And second of all, there's the financial component. You ate something that didn't belong to you. You ate some Cohen's food, you have to pay him back what you ate, of course. So that's a monetary thing. So so too over here, if you are not sure whether this dough has to be have challah removed from it. So we're saying because of the suffix isser, maybe it's forbidden to eat, so of course you have to remove the challah. But since, from a financial point of view, monetary law, the Kohen certainly has no claim on this dough, because the burden of proof for the one who wants to make a financial claim rests upon the person trying to exact money out of the one who currently has it. So here, the non-Kohen, let's say, has the, the I'll call him the recent convert. The recent convert now has some challah in his hands. That's great. He'll have to give it to a Kohen because he can't eat it himself. But since economically he doesn't have to give it to the Kohen, just he can't eat it himself, so he's allowed to give it to the Kohen for a price. He can sell it to the Kohen for the prevailing pricing prices of challah and truma, etc. And the Kohen will have to pay for it because the challah um, economically 
is still an ass that he can he the convert can keep or sell or make use of, just he can't eat it. So that's the case over here too. He'll have to remove the challah, but he could um, sell it to a kohen as opposed to just give it to a kohen. And as for the usual chomesh that one has to add, if one inadvertently ate uh, truma or challah as a non-kohen, he has to not just give back the karen, the principal value, but also adding 25%, the chomesh. So that won't apply over here in the case of the safik challah because the point of the the point of the there's two components. There's the economic issue of making the Cohen whole that's not relevant over here because you as we said you could sell it to him. There's the issue of the mandate of getting Kapara recreating this Khala um, and which you have to do even if you'd have to do that anyways um, because the Torah requires and that's part of your Kapara. But <clears throat> to get atonement for someone who ate who ate from this from this uh, Khala illegally as a non-Kohen. But the guy who ate it, so he will get his kapara from just reinstituting Karen. The chomesh, the extra 25%, is not ma'akev. It's not essential, meaning one's supposed to add 25% when he gives back challah that he ate. Um, but if he doesn't, he still gets the kapara. So here, there's no obligation economically, because it's suffolk, and he gets the kapara he needs by just doing the Karen components, the principal value of what he ate. And therefore, if one eats this Suffolk Chala, and he's not a Kohen, he'll have to replace it, but only the Karen and not the Chomesh. And that's what the Mishnah says here. Vein Chayavin Aleha Chomesh. He doesn't need to add the Chomesh when he reinstitutes what he compensates by recreating what he consumed illegally as the Suffolk Chala. Now we're done with that series of Mishnahs discussing that moment of truth, and really the, that topic's over. The Mishnah now has one more point, which is really quite a curveball. Um, it just throws it out there. Up to now, the whole Masechta, we've been assuming that the moment of truth, when does the obligation of taking challah kick in? At Gilgal, when you mix the flour and water. Here we have Rabbi Kivashi. Rabbi Kivash says, says no. That's that's never been the relevant moment. He just rejects the entire idea of Gilgal being significant. For Rabbi Kiva, the moment when challah must be taken has nothing to do with the mixing of the flour and water. It has to do when the dough begins to turn into bread, which is when it starts to develop a crust. So Rabbi Kiva is arguing with all the previous Mishnayas, and he's saying the moment of truth, he agrees there's, there's a moment of truth, and the questions about non-Jews and conversion and dimua, all that kind of stuff, are all questions, but the answer, and the answer remains, it depends, was it obligated at the moment of truth or wasn't it? It's just that Rabbi Akiva has a different definition for the moment of truth. He says it's um, crusting, as opposed to make a crusting of the dough in the oven, as opposed to mixing the flour and water together. So the halach is not like Rabbi Akiva, so this won't have that far-reaching ramifications, but certainly the Mishnahis will have to be reread um, according to Rabbi Akiva throughout. And here Rabbi Akiva says, Rabbi Akiva Omer, hakol, everything, meaning the obligation for challah taking, holech achar hakrima betanur. It all depends upon the developing of a crust while in the oven. That's Rabbi Akiva Shita, but again the halacha does not follow him. The halacha is like all the previous Mishnahis, that the moment of truth everything depends upon is thoroughly kneading the flour and water together.